Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 139, Cattle and Four in a Storm of Swords. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And here we are back with Catelyn. We're almost to the end. Oh, you know, we had a... We had to, you know, take a, a week off for our His Dark Materials episodes that we've put out. And now we're back into the misery that is the last three chapters of Catelyn Stark. I cannot believe that we are almost to the end. And we have a lot planned for all of you. Not just what George has planned for you. Not just the part where everyone dies. That's coming too. Right. We also that have is, invited that guests. That is a big plan. We've invited guests and we are not going to kill them. No, we are not going to kill them. We do have two last guests coming on for Catalan before we move on to a brand new point of view, which if you're a patron and uh, you're in right now, if you're in the Sweetfoot and the Zorst tier, you have access to the next POV. It will be rolling out for all patron tiers over the next few weeks. Uh, and then the public will know in our last Catalan episode, but for next week, we do have a wonderful guest joining us. She's been on with us before. I'm excited for her to come back for, especially for Catalan 5. I love Catalan 5. We are so excited to have Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros coming back, you know, to talk about talk about auburn-haired women. Yes, a perfect person for the job. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to have her read any Liza quotes this time, but she still has, <laughs> hands down, the best Liza. We had her oh back God, on Sansa right. 7, A Storm of Swords, so it's uncanny to bring her back for another another chapter in Storm, uh, a Tully chapter this time. I'm excited. Yes, only World's Tully best Liza chapters. Actually, though, she was really good as Liza. and She should consider doing a passage for Ice and Fire Con or something some year that passage i would love to yeah. see her act that just have her live act that you should do a Jon snow one how about that i how could i could that? really bastard motherless damned <gasps> that was for all my yeah. fans at home you know it's for you and then i can bring in a yorick he's not in this <laughs> series but you know why, why the fuck not <laughs> it's funny because you said yorick and i just thought you meant torment oh yeah Accurate. they're similar but not really you know Anyway. Um, a bear, fucked a bear. Yeah. We're close, you know? Yeah. We're close. But yes, so we're going to have Lady Gwen joining us for, I, I mean, it, it's a big chapter. I, all the chapters after this are really big. We're, we're all in three the of them now. Yes, all three. No, but actually, though, that I do mean it. No, I do too, because this one's kind of skinny. This is mm -hmm. like a skinny little chapter. I was surprised. There's like, there's a good amount of emotion, lots of emotion to fill the cracks in the pages with, you know? But uh, not quite as much happening, in my opinion. And the next chapter is just a fun chapter going back. Going back to Walder and seeing the phrase again and ugh. And Bolton. Mm-hmm. Just a lot. But this chapter is great. This has some sad stuff, some, some good Edmure action. Edmure really upstages everyone. Yeah, there's a lot in this, I think, that starts setting the tone and the pace for the things that happen afterwards. Like their death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say in the sadness, but the sadness has been ongoing. Well, things, yeah. things that are also still sad. By the time that this is out for the public, we will have put out our uh, latest 
Patreon episode, which is available to all patrons in the $5 tier and above, the Stranger Tier and above. And it, yes. it, it complements a lot of these episodes, right? There are some things that we're like holding ourselves back on. We're ready to dive in and we're like, oh, we got to talk about it here instead. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think it's going to be exciting to really focus a little more on some of the war stuff. And some of the battles, just like what Rob would be experiencing in this chapter in our Girls Gone Canon Rob POV, the ultimate POV chapter for Rob Stark. And I think also a lot of his upbringing at Winterfell is going to be really fun to dive into and talk about because it's something that we think about in kind of the eyes of some of the other Stark POV children, but you don't really get a chance to think about it for Rob. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to kind of like dig into like, we're hinted, we're given hints of it throughout Catelyn's chapters, especially of what Rob might be feeling, uh, but really see what's going on, maybe in Rob's interiority and how that would relate to some of the larger themes that we see in the books. Yes. And I think a lot of what Rob's legacy will ultimately be, right, Mm -hmm. in the eyes of his siblings and of the North how he's looked on, I do hope. I'm sure we'll talk about he better get himself a place in that crypt. Yeah. Who knows? I mean Up like front. it's it's a uh, it's who knows what's happening to people's bones right now. It's all gravy. Hopefully not actually. Well no gravy. bones about that. Yeah, you can uh, in fact make gravy with bones, but hopefully they're not. You doing know what? That. Maybe we can save <laughs> some more of this talk for Tamero, you know? Get it? Yeah. Tamero. Oh like bone yeah, yeah. Took me a second. Got him. Yeah, you did okay. get him. You did indeed get him. <laughs> well, you know, we just had our brunch for our Discord friends and patrons over at Discord. Patrons in the Thunder tier, $10 and above, have access to Discord where we just, we do a lot of bullshitting, all of us. It's a very fun time. And monthly we do a brunch slash happy hour. We do like presentation potlucks on a theme, games, giveaways, get to know yous. People have a drink or a snack and just hang out and vibe this week we talked we we didn't even play jackbox games we usually play jackbox games yeah. and we all just talked about aswath it was yeah. a very nice relaxed time actually i really enjoyed it yeah we even went over time a little and absolutely and sometimes we'll do yeah trivia our friend julie helped us do that in july but yeah yeah uh, there's also a couple of you you know i, I just want to say if you're listening to this episode and keeping up who are in the Thunder tier, who have not joined us yet on Discord. And, you know, just, here's your reminder. We're waiting. Yeah. We're not... Come hang out with... Yeah, we're waiting. <laughs> I was like, this, this, is, this is ominous. This is ominous in this uh, in the context of this chapter, uh, this book series. Dark flame, Uh-oh. light horse. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my God. My bad. We are waiting for you. Uh, come hang out with us. It, it, I actually really enjoy the Discord. There's a lot of, like... Sometimes we all just bitch about our lives at work. Sometimes people just post their cats. Sometimes people post songs they're listening to. Nothing but vibes. Someone posted something. Our our friend Steve posted something about the Goofy movie, and I'm trying to figure out where that was. I want to talk about the Goofy movie. Mm, It was about a storm of swords. Our friend Steve posted about how the Goofy movie would make a great musical for A Storm of Swords. I'm pretty sure that's where he was taking it. That's fascinating. So come read more about that on the Girls Gone Canon Discord. Uh, You can check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. 
And uh, we really appreciate your support. You don't got to support us. We will continue putting out these episodes, but... Yeah, we will We will still put these out. It's fine. Uh, we will also put out other episodes, right? About, uh, as Chloe has pointed out a couple times already, the His Dark Materials book series. We are also actually getting towards the end of the original series of, uh, of the Amber Spyglass. We're, I don't know, maybe about a third of the way or so, right? Through... The last yeah, at least. book, some, something around that. Honestly, we might be halfway, a little past halfway. Yeah, so that's that's exciting. And we also, we've said it before, but uh, for August, our Patreon episode was about El Enchanted. And we do have a couple of other books that we are interested in covering very soon. Yeah, Keep an eye out, you know, keep an eye out on your Patreon feed because we will be putting out some episodes like that on different series. I, I have convinced Eliana yet again to try to start another book. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. It's one I've had on my list for a while, so I'm excited. You're going to like it. I already know you are. I can't wait till you read these books that I've recommended. But, you know, I think we might even, this month we kind of did a, a mythology theme at brunch and I'm excited for next month for Spooky October, for the Starks to die, and oh you know, War with God, and all the fun things we have. But I think we're going to do a spooky brunch next month. Yeah, we are of sorts. Of sorts. We're not quite sure yet in which way it will be scary, but we'll we'll figure that out, and we will announce both the date and the theme for that as we decide it. But spooky sp- episodes. Speaking. Speaking of things that are maybe October, Halloween, spooky-themed, I want to thank our friend Megan, who sent us an email of note of some of her pets. One, uh, Two of them being cats, one a hamster, and one of those cats is a void, which is a term for a black cat, so very, very much appreciated, very festive. And I also want to say, while no one has sent us pictures of their chinchilla yet, as far as I can tell... This hamster that Megan has sent, Fluffy, at first I did think was a chinchilla. It does have chinchilla energy, so I appreciate it very much. <laughs> I love I love chinchillas, but that hamster was so small. Mm-hmm. So cute. So cute. Thank you, Megan, for sending us that. And I did have to say I loved gazing at the void. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my favorite. Gazing at the void was fun. And speaking of looking into the void... <laughs> we got a another email of note. Uh, I want to thank our friend Pete, aka Green Plankton, for sending us a what if scenario regarding what if Rob had offered justice rather than vengeance to Rickard Karstark, and and this idea of sending Rickard Karstark to um, the Wall, and then would it have allowed things to fall differently? In terms of would Alice Carsark have been able to go to Rob, right, to warn her of what her family was planning, and it, it was it, it was interesting, and it kind of got me thinking about some different what ifs of like, what if I, I mean similar idea, what if Rob had offered justice rather than vengeance to Richard Carsark, for example, what if he had offered, I don't know, I went on this random thought of like, what if he had sent Richard Carsark to take Heron Hall instead of Roose Bolton, right, kept Roose Bolton close, which he should have done in the first place. Roose Bolton was untrustworthy, and being super sketchy and <laughs> yeah and would that have appeased Rickard Karstark's 
you know, wounds in terms of his losses and also acknowledge the, the sacrifices that he made while also you know, acknowledging his importance in the North as well as their proximity to the Starks while also keeping him mm-hmm. far, far away from the Lannister prisoners. Not that they thought like, you know, why would, why would they even think that Rickard Karstark would do such a thing, right? They didn't, but, you know, it, it would yeah. have also addressed that too. So it's not like a misstep on Rob's part. No, that's true. And I do love some of the ideas that our friend Green Plankton Pete sent along of uh, what it would do to the plot in terms of freeing other plot lines up. Mm. He went on to add that, you know, maybe Arya and Sandor arrive late to the twins and they get killed in crossfire. That's horrible. That's yeah. devastating. <laughs> right. Uh, but also that maybe it stops Arya because she actually gets to see her family. It stops her from traveling to go be a faceless man. Or maybe they go back safely and Sandor ends up asking for whatever he could want to return her safely, like service to an honorable northern house as a master at arms or kennel master. I was like, I see you. This is a targeted ad in my email. (laughs) This is targeted, yeah. Uh, But just some really, yeah, very targeted but then he closed it out and he said, justice might or maybe create more justice, but usually vengeance can only create sorrow and more vengeance and never create justice. And he said that a lot of these fun what if ideas are fun, but for example, Sandor really needs the Quiet Isle to work through his hound persona, not just exchanging a southern warlord for a northern one. And I thought that was a really thoughtful look at vengeance in the series and justice and what it really means as we go into Catalan's plot again. Yeah. So thank you for sending that, both of you. And if you, dear listener, have an animal to, you would like to share, we are, again, always open. Yes, open to animals. <laughs> and to you, animals, with yes. all your thoughts. If you, animal, would like to get on the computer like Keyboard Cat or the other cats that I've seen... You know, be like, it's shitposting time. I love that gif. I love that gif of that fluffy gray cat. If you were that animal, please also send us selfies of yourself as as a cat. call. Yes. (laughs) That takes us into what we missed between Catalan 3 and A Storm of Swords. And now Catalan 4, A Storm of Swords in our lightning round, starting off with Jamie 3. The brave companions fight Brienne and Jamie, killing Cleos. Vargo Hote takes vengeance on Jamie. Arya 4. Arya meets the Ghost of Highheart while the Brotherhood searches for Beric Dondarrion. Daenerys 2. Daenerys ponders taking the Unsullied as warriors. She finds pleasure in Eerie. Bran 2. And the Mystery Knight should win the tourney, defeating every challenger, and name the Wolf Maid the Queen of Love and Beauty. She was, said Mira, but that's a sadder story. <laughs> Davos 3. Melisandre tells Davos he'll be needed by the Lord of Light. Later, he's joined by a new traitor in jail, Alistair Florent. John 3. John must part from Ghost, but joins his body with someone new. Egret. <laughs> Daenerys 3. Drogon, she sang. Dracarys. Sansa 3. Sansa is caged in her wedding dress. Arya 5. Arya learns of the Battle of the Bells from Harwin. The Brotherhood captures Sandor Clegane. John 4. The Free Folk's climb is in vain. No one 
finds the Horn of Jorman. And by that we mean actually no one. No one finds the Horn of Jorman. Ah, no one actually knows. Yeah, rip. (laughs) Jamie 4. Jamie's calls of Tarth Sapphires save Brienne from some of the worst of the Bloody Mummers. Kyburn cleanses Jamie's infected wound at Harrenhal, where Roos disavows the Mummer's actions. Tyrion 4. Tyrion's money isn't enough to silence Simon's silver tongue. House Lannister gains two Valyrian swords. Interesting. Pycelle brings news of the wall. Gotta crack some eggs to make some Valyrian swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Samwell 2. Elsie Mormont faces betrayal. Betrayal. Sam and Gilly must flee. Arya 6. Sander Clegane faces a trial by fire for his crimes. No, he hates fire. Aww. That's not right. No. <sighs> Kettle and four. Hoster Tully's time has come to pass on through the river, but Catalan's already grieved that death, and worse news comes to Riverrun of certain miscommunications happening throughout the Northern faction. But the Bolton family has it all covered. Don't worry. I'm so glad Don't that they, worry. they control the communications. They control the internet right now in the North. Good <laughs> the for them. The deep web. <laughs> the Bolton Comcast. Uh, oh my God. Well, we start our chapter with Catalan thinking, Let the kings of winter have their cold crypt under the earth. The Tullys drew their strength from the river, and it was to the river they returned when their lives had run their course. Get it, run their course, because, you know, river and their course. But anyway, so this opening makes me think of what will happen to Catalan's body. Alright, we've discussed previously about how Catalan straddles the northern and southern cultures. She's born in one, she assimilates into another, and also in her thoughts, she seems to reject the northern burials here, right? Specifically those of the Starks. We don't know that the other northern houses have similar traditions per se but when it comes time for Catelyn to die though her body is kind of returned to the river it's done so in an absolutely corrupted way right it's dumped there unceremoniously naked uh, compared to Hoster's really regal burial that we see here yet the north Nymeria pulls her body back out from the river so does that mean that the river rejects her, or does that speak to, again, her no longer necessarily being a Tully? But she's also not buried amongst the crypts either. Does she ever return to the river later? Who knows? Perhaps not. We don't know. We don't have these next few books. But there is something to be said here, maybe, of this idea of like a third culture, that, that experience that people have when they're moving from one into another and then sort of feeling rejected from both of them, feeling like they are own, right? Maybe as Cat becomes Lady Stoneheart. Uh, but but also different in that there aren't necessarily other undead that she's part of a culture with. It, it's mostly just her. It's just her being rejected from the earth. I know that's an absolutely stellar point, only because when you say it that way, you know, we know that she comes back as a fire white, mm-hmm. basically, right? So elementally fire and the north rejected her, the south rejected her, like you said, uh, and she embraces I mean, she's embraced, she's consumed yes, by consumed. this magic, consumed, yeah. And we don't really know what connection she has to that, but I think it's really pointed that the chapter that comes right before this, Arya, is her first introduction to Relore, mm. right? 
and Arya's the one who accidentally pulls mom out of the river right with Nymeria and brings her to that fiery fate of people that she was traveling with for a short while uh and i think there's just something pointed in that third culture being cat becoming lady stoneheart being a fire white mm-hmm. yeah i feel yeah. like in regards to what happens i feel like that meme right of eric andre let me in with me for the let books what happens <sighs> look at the flowers mom look at the flowers oh you know <laughs> well uh so uh, while we wait for what happens they they're putting hoster's corpse in a boat he's in his armor with his cloak beneath him it's specifically his house tully cloak he's also got a trout great helm beside him and a painted wooden sword on his chest his hands are upon it and his hands are covered in gauntlets which hide how how skinny you know his hands have become in his age and then he also has his shield on his left side and his hunting horn on the right. Mm-hmm. I love this setup for this funeral mm-hmm. because, you know, when powerful men die. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I-, I do actually like the funeral setup because we don't really get funeral setups. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's one of the few displays we actually get besides its parallel in the beginning of the next book, right, to Tywin's funeral. The silent sisters had armored Tywin as if to fight some final battle with his great helm uh, beside him with the two lions lounging. And Hoster's trout helm, I know it's a trout helm, it's not very badass sounding, but it is kind of cool. We don't get a lot of great helms described in the book. So uh, Hoster's trout helm, Tywin's lions, and Balin's swan has a big swan-winged helm. He has two white wings. It's kind of ridiculous. Very I love cool. it. Very big uh, card captor Sakura vibes. Yes, yes, absolutely. It makes me hope that Harry the Air has some ridiculous armor helm God, yes. for him, you know, some falcon shit. Same. And I mean, like, Renly had those antlers. He had a great, beautiful helm with the antlers on it, but I don't know. I uh, I want some more helms. But coming back to these funerals, I find them so similar in kind of some of the betrayal and grief happening in them, right? Uh, Kids finding out their parents weren't shit, siblings trying to live up to their older brother's legacy and own, you know, the estate. And when Tywin dies, the realm kind of goes into disarray. But for Hoster, they've already done their grieving, right? They knew he was going. He hasn't been the man he was in years. He died a very different man than he was, where Tywin died in the midst of showing his true colors. Uh, And when Hoster dies, it's kind of a time of peace almost. It's sorrowful and grief, but it it's really kind of peaceful for their cause. Like they could use just a goddamn moment of rest. And I love the touch of laying the shield next to him. It's oak and iron, just to hmm. just to point out my oak and iron stuff here. It's oak and iron, but his sword isn't put next to him. His sword isn't there, which I thought was interesting. He doesn't really have an ancestral sword. So that, that, I guess, doesn't matter. But it does still show kind of a pocket view into who Hoster was. He loved to hunt, to fight. He was religious, as we'll see, represented in this service. He could have just been some some random guy, someone's dad, right? Cat and Edmure's dad. Someone's grandpa, Rob. Someone, you know, who no one actually knew him, to be fair. And some people might have known him more than others, like Brynden, who were there. Maybe more than he even knew himself. And funerals are just like this big collection of grief, 
about what things were in the past, what things are now, and what things could have been and will be. And it's a, it's a very, like, peaceful, sad scene at the river. Yeah, and I think what kind of shakes me about the peacefulness of it, right, is... I, I mean, like you said, people have had time to come to terms with Hoster's death, right? I mean, Catelyn does and Edmure does, right? Catelyn and Edmure do, and and so does Brynden. But Hoster, Hoster himself wasn't at peace, we'll find out in a bit, when he died. Yeah. Well. <sighs> no peace. No fucking peace. The rest of the boat is filled with kindling that will help it burn, and stones to make it heavy so that later it'll sink. His banner flies from the prow, and seven men were chosen to push the boat in. They represent the faith, and those men are Rob, the Lord's Bracken, Blackwood, Vance, and Malister, Sir Mark Piper, and lame Lothar Frey, who we'll learn soon is there in lieu of Sir Desmond Grell. The Freys had sent people down here for an answer to, you know, what, what's going on. And Lothar Frey, turns out, came with 40 soldiers for an escort, so that's two times 20 good men, commanded by Walder Rivers. They had come within hours of Hoster's passing, and this pisses off Edmure because he, he feels kind of insulted by the representatives that Walder Frey has sent. And Kat agrees that it was likely a pointed choice, an intentional choice on Walder's part, but and reminds everyone of Walder Frey's bad qualities, including that he is prideful, but at least Rob acts courteous towards them. Uh, I honestly really love a lot of the intrigue and politics that comes up here. It might be some of my favorite Frey stuff. I do love next week's chapter, Cat 5, but... I really do love the duel of Lothar and Walder Rivers, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but there's something really fucked up here, which is that they literally took Desmond Grell aside, who's worked there since Kat was a kid, and they were like, hey, can I spit in your mouth a little? I'm going to need you to step aside so these asshole fray kids that we've never even really met for more than three minutes, uh, so they can actually bury Hoster Tully as like a PR thing for them just to get in the good graces. And obviously they're kind of like, we have to do whatever the fuck they want right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's even more insult to not only Hoster's memory, but kind of a river run, right? To, this is an intentional slight being done. They knew they'd have to replace someone and they replaced Desmond Grell. Who's put his blood and sweat into this place. Yeah. <sighs> It's yeah. just one of the many, many slights happening, but like Desmond Grell has been a company man for so long, and this is how he's treated. And this is one of the many things that like Catalan's POV makes it so obvious to all of us in this chapter that every intended slight that could be being made by the phrase is being made. And she's hoping against hope that it's all like incidental. But every single thing she says in this chapter, as she talks about the phrase and her kind of her inner monologue, it comes to pass. Yeah, I think she like hopes she's like, that's fine. Let them get their insults in now as long as, you know, it helps them feel better and we all come out fine at the end. You know, this is just like a growing pains thing or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's going to be painful. All right. 
It is going to be the opposite of growing. <laughs> it will be dying pains. But as as you said, the Desmond girl thing is really sad. I mean, he's already been put into quite a few difficult positions this book, thanks to Catelyn's yeah. actions. And then on top of all of that, this, so... Catelyn thinks that Rob has had to learn a difficult lesson, but they are thankful that the Freys are here, though, despite everything. And so anyway, anyway, as part of this burial, the men, they get in the water, they go, like, launch Hoster's body on this boat. He's on a boat. He's got his flippy floppies. <laughs> and we have this line of, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, so why we included it here, but it's... <laughs> Catelyn watched from the battlements, waiting and watching as she had waited and watched so many times before. So we get that reprise, again, of those that language of waiting and watching that we've talked about a lot. And then also, this this part's real sad. She also thinks, Bran and Rickon will be waiting for him, Catelyn thought sadly, as once I used to wait. Uh, uh, it is just sad. in case he want to be stabbed yeah. in the heart repeatedly already <sighs> ahead of time but yeah i mean the good news is brandon and rickon are not waiting for him no brandon and rickon are alive they're not like well but they're alive and they're gonna be well hopefully maybe yeah. probably probably <sighs> probably be okay they As... can use therapy <laughs> yeah everyone in this fucking series could true use therapy true. i could use therapy jesus true <laughs> So the boat containing Hoster exits the water gate and goes into the rising sun. Brynden gives Lord Edmir arrows to launch, uh, to launch an arrow on fire, which Kat is still struggling to wrap her head around how her baby brother is a lord, but it falls short of the boat. Edmir blames the wind, lights a second, and he falls short again, and now he's starting to obviously be ashamed about it. Brynden offers to do it, but Edmir insists he can. This last arrow almost reaches the shaft, and this one passes the boat. The boat's out of sight as Edmure gives up and curses, but Brynden takes it and makes the shot. So, for the most part, I think that these lines are meant to sort of characterize Edmure as, you know, sort of a dutz, right? Like, putzing around, failing to live up to the Westerosi ideals of masculinity when it comes to their leaders and what they expect of them, but... You know, we've also seen, I will say, an argument with that, like, from Westerosi history, that, you know, sometimes the best fighter isn't necessarily the best leader, and vice versa. And I mean, yeah, Edmure's like an okay fighter, but we know he cares about his people. And I think, so I don't know that the text is necessarily saying this based on the other ways that we see Edmure. I don't know where it's going, but I, I... So maybe a part of this is just, like, doing some, I don't know, wishful reading on my part, but... Does this mean, does the falling short of the arrows and then the passing, like, mean maybe that Edmure, at first, kind of falls short of Hoster's legacy and the things that are asked of him, right? We see we see Edmure display immaturity at times as a leader and also kind of as an adult, but perhaps it means that ultimately, maybe, like, Edmure misses that last shot as a symbol of actually surpassing Hoster one day, being a better leader and perhaps even a better father than Hoster was. It is a thought. That's a really great thought because I think 
a lot of what we're seeing, especially for this younger generation, is seeing them transform what they learn from their parents or from people that raised them for better or for worse, right? Uh, definitely for better or for worse. And I actually really read it as having so much to do with Edmure's, like, I mean, so Catalan being raised in the Westerosi female standards, right? And, and what she's supposed to be doing versus Edmure A., I don't think he was quite raised, as we've discussed, to be the heir-heir like he probably should have been. There's a lot on his masculinity kind of being torn from him in this chapter that we'll talk about later, that he's like having his choice taken away for like the first time, <laughs> you know, other than this year, like this whole year. And he even gets some of that Theon treatment, I feel like, in, in tempering his cocky arrogance and masculinity in a pretty awful way. Yes, definitely. I, I I think we yeah, as you said, we started to see it a little in those Jamie chapters where he interacts with Edmure, and I'm like, go Edmure, go. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's a hope. It is a hope of mine. And then I I do want us to read aloud the passage of where the Blackfish does succeed in lighting the boat on fire, just because it it's really good. So. But as the shot rose, she saw the flames trailing through the air, a pale orange pennon. The boat had vanished in the mists. Falling, the flaming arrow was swallowed up as well, but only for a heartbeat. Then, sudden as hope, they saw the red bloom flower. The sails took fire and the fog glowed pink and orange. For a moment, Catalan saw the outline of the boat clearly, wreathed in leaping flames. Watch for me, little cat, she could hear him whisper. So, I have a new thought now that we've just read this aloud, but <laughs> we have talked about this concept enough in previous chapters that I, I do think it feels self-explanatory, but I want to put it here because I want us to be sad. Right? I want us to be sad. So that's why I had us reread Cat being like, watch for me, little cat, as her father... His body disappears, so let us just cry. Hmm. And <laughs> I'm also thinking now, like, you know, we were talking about Catelyn's body and the burial, and you uh, brought up her being a firewight again. This is kind of the same, right? You know, the, the river there with the body, and then the bringing back to life as they go to their under, hmm. their afterlife, and then the fire on the boat. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, that's it's actually... I didn't really think about that of her being her father being consumed here and what brings her back really yeah. and uh, a, the, a lot of the imagery it's really bright imagery and it's interesting you say that because as soon as I reread it and I was reading it the red bloom flower also yeah. stood out to me it reminded me of a lot of the way George describes blood in the series or somebody being mm. injured like a flower of red blooming on their thigh but also reminded me of the blue flower in the chink of ice. Yeah. Like a hundred percent I thought about that. Uh in the, the vision for Daenerys and John. Janaris. We love Janaris. <laughs> John Daenerys, yeah. I mean it, it's apparently George has said like to some people in some words or, or way, like that's where it's all going towards. And and I think that's a great point because it does have similar imagery and I like I don't know, I just love that line of then Sudden as hope, they saw the red bloom flower. That idea that the light can also be hope and not just destructive, even though it is disintegrating his body here, but whatever. 
I do think it kind of is somewhat relatable too with the the stuff with Melisandre and Davos. The next chapter, I believe, is a Davos chapter, uh-huh. and uh, it does have some Lord of Light connotations in it. And of course, the Arya chapter before this, again being so strong of R'hllor, and the Davos chapter a little bit before that as well, having Melisandre explain, you know, the the Lord of Light's not done with you, Davos. Fucking buckle up, buddy, and. That kind of makes me think of that here as well in those terms. Lots of fire shadowing, you could say. Oh, <laughs> foreshadowing. Well, the Thank fire you. does cast shadows on the wall. That's what Nelsandra told me. Hmm. Cat <laughs> reaches for Edmure's hands, but he's far away now, standing alone at the highest point of the battlements. So Brynden comes and takes Catelyn's hand instead. Together they watch the boat dwindle and then disappear down the river, or sinking, who knows. They're they're legitimately unsure. We have another line that I just wanted to put here again, because I just felt like us being sad would be good. <laughs> the weight of his armor would carry Lord Hosser down to rest in the soft mud of the riverbed, in the watery halls where the Tullys held eternal court, with schools of fish their last attendants. I just like the language. I love the language. It reminds me of Patchface a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. And Especially like... the watery halls and uh, along with his red wedding prophecy, right? Yeah. And even like some of the, you can see a little bit of like those connections between the Ironborn culture and, and the Riverlands, right? Because once upon a time, they were the same kingdom. Yes. The watery halls. That's two of the, dr- that's true of the drowned god. Mm-hmm. Well, Enyar rocks off once the boat is gone, and Catelyn wants to hug him, but knows that now is not the time, because now Enyar has to project the Lord of Riveron and be that lord, and then there's a line of it walling him off from something as small as a sister's grief, and I thought that was really important to call out, uh, the, the, this idea of death and in general, death can be very isolating, the grief of it, right? We saw it happen in Catelyn's chapter in the way that she wanted to be alone and, and was very silent during that dinner with Brienne. And she's like, Brienne, don't you want to go hang out with other people? And Brienne was like, no, I don't <laughs> want that. And, but Catelyn That's is trying why to figure I'm out here. how to be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but that sometimes what people want in grief and how they deal with it differently, but also that Edmure doesn't have the chance to really mourn and be sad in those moments, and that really isolating effect of toxic masculinity on how he has to perform leadership, that leadership doesn't allow vulnerability in that way. And we also kind of see that uh, happen for Rob, right? Mm -hmm. Later on, I, I mean, we've been seeing it happen in his character, but we'll see it happen a bit more as the chapter progresses. I mean, Edmure's not that old he's younger than cat he's younger than me yeah he's younger than me isn't he hell i know how i grieve i did have a point i swear uh (laughs) knowing how i grieve like and i'm a young uh knowing that he could be younger than i am and that he's like grieving a parent dying that's that's a fucking heavy thing to grieve and it's a lot to go through and cat comments on it throughout this chapter on how you know he's been drinking he's been avoiding actually dealing with it and she's already dealt with that you know she was traded on the spot to a new husband and was like sorry he died gotta marry this one i mean these things are kind of more flippant for her she had to learn to grieve far earlier than he did absolutely and 
a lot of things happened soon after that in terms of what he suddenly has to do in terms of, yeah, the responsibilities. And, and part of me wonders, you know, there's, there's obviously maybe he wanted his father to be there for some of the other moments of his life, right? Like to choose to, to pass on the Lordship or maybe, you know, when he finally does get married, but then maybe he shouldn't have delayed. I don't know. Yeah, Anyways. Maybe he wanted to learn these things from his dad. And I do think like he spent some of his younger years, maybe not when he should have and not in a horrible way because we all do that but like maybe you know you can't plan when that's going to be taken from you and that opportunity to just be able to go up to your dad's solar and say dad how would i do this in war or how would i do this or dad tell me how you defeated you know and fought in the nine penny kings and all this stuff he just can't go do it now and it, it is big Maybe he thought that Hoster was always going to be there in his solar, waiting for him, just like Hoster always told Kat to wait for him. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of parallels there, right, between what Enmir and Rob are feeling, but neither of them can really take that comfort in one another because mm -hmm. they have to project that sort of pride and strength and leadership, but also they're they're caught in a trap at the moment where they're kind of taking it out on each other. Uh, yeah. It's going great. It's going great. Well, the only semi-adjusted person here is, of course, the Blackfish. Brynden longs to tell Edmir there's no shame in missing a shot after all of this. Apparently, Hoster did, too, when their father died. But Kat is, like, only the first one, though. <laughs> no, no one needed that reminder, okay? But, you know, I guess no one really heard it. But He's still. trying to give the boy courage, Kat. I know, right? Kat, Sandra. Ugh. <sighs> Edmir took Hoster's passing so hard, drunkenly lamenting he hadn't been there when his father passed away, and he's like, Cat, cat, catty, did, did dad speak of me? And she's like, nope. But she doesn't say that. She lied, and she's like, he whispered your name, Edmir. He whispered your name. But his last words were tansy. Sad. Sad shit. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to try to talk more about archery and stuff and uh she decides to hold her tongue about her thoughts on hangovers and archery absolutely this is not the time not the time <sighs> not gonna get into this fight right now <laughs> when catalin sees rob he's with jane and bannerman and rob silently holds his mother embraces her yeah, so Emir wouldn't comfort Kat. It seems like Kat didn't seem that interested in comforting Edmure either, but wanting to be comforted based on her internal thoughts. So may maybe that's for the best. But, and, and also, you know, I guess Edmure couldn't find it to break his isolation yet and his grief, but we once again see Rob sort of taking on this parentified role for Kat same as in early Game of Thrones, when it comes to that sort of grief, he's the one comforting her. Since, I mean, he, he doesn't take this death as hard, right? He didn't really know Hoster that well. Neither does Jane, right? She offers some compliments on Hoster's appearance, saying that he looked like a king. Which, interestingly, I, I mean, you drew the parallel earlier to Hoster's funeral and Tywin's. So mm. I thought that that's an interesting wording. But also, I'm wondering... Yeah, is this a uh, is this foreshadowing of maybe how Hoster is a grandfather to royalty? If uh, we can take the charting of the Game of Thrones award-winning HBO television oh my God. show as as any indication, which I think we probably can. No, uh, I mean there is that line of you know he'll be father to kings, 
yeah. etc. So you know, it could be there. There's there's evidence in these books that yeah. the, the, the people wrote about the show. Yeah, yeah. The I mean, they they got this from the show. So oh my god, <laughs> um, both Jane and Rob are both very happy newlyweds here that didn't really know him, and they both say, "Oh, we wish we had known him better." Uh, she acknowledges, Catalan acknowledges, the distance from Winterfell to River Run was always great, you know, and so, of course, they might not have always had time to get to know him. But then she thinks of the silence from Liza and, and from King's Landing, too. She hopes Brienne was successful and Sir Cleos keeps his promises as well. <laughs> Bad news. Oh, yeah. He's dead. He's dead! <laughs> oh, that's actually kind of sad. Yeah, poor cat. It's all over, but the crying. And Cleos. Poor Cleos. Poor Cleos. <laughs> He's dead. Men gather to give Rob condolences, but Cat draws his attention over to Lothar Frey. Lothar asks for audience from the king. There's agreement in pleasantries and perhaps forgiveness, as Lothar says Walder understands, having been young and lusting for beauty before. But Cat doubts Walder Frey ever felt that way, having outlived seven wives. Now he's on his eight, and she knows he speaks of all of them terribly. After Lothar withdraws with a kiss to Jane's hand, Rob speaks with more of his bannermen, his people, and then asks to speak with Cat on a walk. She agrees to a command until he corrects her that it's not a command. She's like, you know what, whatever, sure, anyway. Since <laughs> returning, Rob has been kind, but he doesn't really seek her out, which I think is... I mean, that's typical teenage stuff, right? Yeah. Beyond everything else. Catelyn thinks that Jane at least does make him smile, and so do the other Westerlings. Then she realizes, huh, Rob has replaced his lost brothers with them. Rollum, his squire, is kind of like Bran. And then Reynold, his standard bearer, is something like Theon and John to him. And she notes that only with them does he smile, while with all the others, he's the king of the north. All that weight, even without the crown on. Man, the actual quote is so depressing. Like, when she realizes it, just the they're standing in the boots of those he lost. And yeah. she also thinks, like, only with them does she see him like the boy that he once was. Very sad. Very sad. It started making me think about all the times the Starks think of each other in this story, right? I won't tell you all of them, because they're sad spoiler there's the one from Sansa where she thinks that Willis could come to love her if she just gave him children and that she could maybe bargain with that potential half love if she could name them after Eddard and Brandon and Rickon and she thinks in Sansa's dreams her children looked just like the brothers she had lost sometimes there was even a girl who looked like Arya or Arya for that matter uh, she tries to wish away the north and its sounds and smells as she throws her sword away but she knows it symbolizes her family and hope and rebuilding. And Bran and Clash, there's this, such a sad line where Bran wishes he could be a wolf and find and protect Arya and Sansa and save them and join Rob in battle and tear out the throat of the Kingslayer. If only he could be a wolf, he says. Ow. Oh. Yeah, it is really sad and... It, it kind of, yeah. It makes me think, speaking of other people who are sad, that's kind of what Ned did, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in naming his children Rob, and then Bran, and Rickon. <laughs> in honor of his dead family members. Yeah. But also, you you brought up Sansa, and, and 
her thinking of a marriage to Willis and how perhaps she could buy his love in that way. And then she also comes to a realization soon that she will only ever be loved for her claim. And Rob is also in a similarly, I think, difficult position, though he doesn't realize it yet. And I think you've called this out in previous chapters. And Catelyn actually also points it out to him when she's like, I don't know if I like you being around people that your wolf do doesn't like. But Rob has surrounded himself with his wife's family and not enough of his own men at the moment. Same as how Robert Baratheon did. Yes, yes. And not only is it, you know, surrounding himself with Westerlanders, just like Robert Baratheon did, but also we haven't seen Grey Wind this entire chapter, nor last. Yeah, that's a great point. He should be with Rob all the time. All the time. All the time. Maybe, I mean, maybe Rob is fine because he knows where Grey Wind is, but it is interesting that he's not around. Uh, because, I mean, yeah, Jane, I guess, doesn't like him around, which seems suspicious. Seems like a I mean, thing like, that Cersei would say. I get that. No offense. I was I was afraid of dogs for a very long time. I got attacked by one when I was a kid. Maybe Jane got attacked by a dog. You don't know. It's possible. But it also reminds me of Cersei being like, I don't want those those wolves anywhere near any of us. Oh, yeah. That's true. Awful. We got to fire her. Get rid of yeah. Cersei. I mean, Just kidding. Jane's like way nicer, but... <laughs> that's true. As far as we can tell. Well, <sighs> Rob seems hopeful about the phrase... But Kat, again, expresses con caution. Rob is solemn, and she thinks of the weight of the crown on him and how hard he tries. Someone comes in now and tells Rob the news of the defeat at Duskendale, where Randall Tarley defeated Robert Glover and Sir Helman Talhart's forces. And rather than the expected anger, Rob reacts with like, wait, uh, why? Oh, why the fuck were they at Duskendale by the sea? Well, why were my forces at Duskendale by the sea? <laughs> because you're being betrayed, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, he's just like dumbfounded, right? He's not angry. He's just like, what? What the fuck is happening right now? And my thing is, he doesn't like explore that further. Like until next chapter, he talks to Bruce, and Bruce point. is like, Bruce is just like, hey, it's a okay, buddy. I think he was just sad, and that's why he attacked. You know, sad men do crazy things. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, I just sent them to, you know, probably, I, I just sent them to Duskendale. And it's like, what? Why did you do that? And and because the orders came from Bruce Bolton, right? Who, who just yeah. made them up. Made yeah. them up because, yep, Rob is being betrayed. But he's just like, I, I think in that moment, he's probably just like, so stunned. Everything's going to shit. And then this is happening. He's, and he just can't even process it anymore. He has no energy to be mad. He's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense. It's bad. It's it's a it's a total misstep. Like it's a very obvious. Wait a second. What? Question mark. Uh, had he just kept going? Had he thought harder? Had he investigated? Come on, Rob. Well, I mean, he doesn't really have anyone to send, you know, to investigate. So yeah, because they keep yep. dying or leaving him. Uh, well, uh, Rob it, seems hopeful, good thing. though. Yeah. Right, like about the phrase and their possible return. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, yeah. and that's good. That's that's hopeful. That, that's hopeful, like a red flower blooming. You know, that's uh, called a red flag, Eliana. Not a red flower. <laughs> when all the flags are on fire, they're red. <laughs> well, Galbert Glover is afraid for his family, and especially his brother Robert. Right, he's the one being held by the Ironborn. But we saw him in Davos chapters, right? So he's like 
He's kind of fine. He's fine, we find out later. But at this moment, he's a prisoner to the Lannisters. Rob says, It's okay, I'm going to trade Martin Lannister for him, and that Tywin must accept for Kevin's sake, because turns out Martin was the twin of that other Lannister that died in that very dramatic chapter where we have to behead Rickard Karstark, Willem. Rob is still haunted by these murders. And then later on, as they're walking and, and in private, Rob tells Catelyn, Mom, you were right. It's a hard thing to say from anyone, especially a teenager. I say this not as someone who's ever been on the receiving end of that, but as someone who has had to tell my parents, you were right. It sucks. Okay. And he says that, yes, he should have traded Jamie for Sansa when Catelyn had first suggested it, and that had he done so, he could have wedded Sansa to Loras to take the Tyrells, which I'm like, true. Or he could have wedded Marjorie, or both. You know, these are options. I mean, Willis is still open. He is still open. That's true. It didn't have to be Loras. Why did he think? I mean, I guess he doesn't. No one thinks of Willis. That's true. Uh, but you're right. Willis is a better. Would have been a better <laughs> match for them. I mean, he's the heir. So, uh, I mean, but, but I guess that's the thing. That's something he's really disregarding, and I think it shows that we'll see as we keep going. They're disregarding the power of marriage. And, you know, we saw it from Alisan in Fire and Blood, where she made all these marriages and held women's court, and also in Fire and Blood later with uh, Lady Sam, right, who did that as well for the Riverlands and the Reach and all these war-torn places, and that that really can save your ass. Yep. Or it can kill it if you you don't follow through, as uh, the rest of this chapter will explore. Kat, though, is, she, she's very nice and forgiving to her child, right? She excu- makes excuses for him, saying that, you know, it's okay, Rob, you were thinking of battles and kings can't think of everything. <laughs> like, yeah, but he's like, they're supposed to listen to their advisors for that. Anyways. But then after that comes that really iconic line that everyone loves to quote, because it is good, right? Where, battles, muttered Rob as he led her out beneath the trees. I have won every battle, yet somehow I'm losing the war. It's so sad. He thinks of all they've lost. Winterfell, Moat Kaelin, Ned, Bran, Rickon, maybe Arya, now Hoster? Cat reassures him, though. Hoster was already dying. That one's not on you. Kings make mistakes, and your father will be proud. And in many ways, the reassurance that Ned would be proud is central to Rob's arc. And it's kind of something that Catelyn just says to comfort him. I'm sure that Ned is proud of his children, like... In general, all the time. He seems like a very loving father. But I do think uh, Rob did kind of fail to follow Ned's example, because I think that Ned would have followed the same course that Catelyn advised in regards to trading Jamie for Sansa, because Ned doesn't take risks with his family. He's already suffered those losses before. He wouldn't do what Rob did. And, I mean, obviously, Cat knew Ned very well. Very well. Intimately, even. <laughs> Yeah, and he keeps doing that thing, Rob, that whole, like, saying very nice things and being nice to his mother, and then following it up with bad news. That's been one of his classic moves throughout Catalan's yeah. POV, I've noticed. And, and then he turns on her, too, sometimes, <laughs> like, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, this whole, I don't know what it is. Like, is it teenagehood? Is it, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Grief. Grief. Yeah. Is he horny? I don't know. Oh my god. Hey, it could be that kind of book. I mean, I think we know it is that kind of book. 
It is that kind of book. <laughs> well, once more, Rob has bad news. Kat's like, oh no, is it about Brienne and Jamie? But no, it's about Sansa. Which, to be honest, Kat thinking that, oh, is it about Brienne and Jamie? Is actually the same as thinking it's news about Sansa. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. She fears her plan failed and that Sansa's dead in retaliation for Jamie's death. And she finally asks, what is it? But Rob says, no, she's just married to Tyrion Lannister. This news is kind of upsetting, right? Because Tyrion had promised to trade the Stark sisters for Jamie in front of the whole court. Catelyn's like, how could he go back on his word? Yeah, how could he swear such a thing and then break it? And I'm like, oh yeah, who would do that? Who would go back on a vow that they made in front of a bunch of people? Real interesting. Real interesting. And... I will say, Rob doesn't seem to ask the same question that I'm asking, because he just says, He's the Kingslayer's brother! Oathbreaking runs in their blood! Interesting. Yeah. It's no self-awareness from anyone here at all. It's really funny, because Rob is more independent than Tyrion and Joffrey like combined, right? They have Tywin to boss them around, so this is a good one, because it's like it's a full Tywin move. This is not... this isn't him. Rob expresses a desire to behead Tyrion, to widow Sansa, and Kat's like, I regret not letting Liza kill him. She wonders how they could do this. Well, we know, for her claim. Should, you know, anything happen to Rob? And Kat quickly rebuts, nothing will happen to Rob, and that if anything befell you, I would go mad, Rob. You are all I have left. You are all the North has left. I would go mad, Rob. Wow, what does it mean? What does it mean? But I do think it's sad to see all of this in this moment because Catelyn is now, I mean, she's kind of giving up on the rest of her family. Obviously, she thinks that some of them are dead, but this means she's now too afraid to hope for Sansa's safety and ever being reunited with her, too afraid to hope for Arya. And, and that makes sense, right? After everything she's weathered, how can she, how can she even find hope again, right? Where is that red blooming flower? She's already turning her heart to stone here and to keep it from hurting. You know, if she dares to hope and then those hopes are dashed because besides those parts of her family, she's lost her father just now and her brother is just too far away from her emotionally to be part of what she has left and and her sister, right? Her sister is far from her both emotionally and physically. So she just puts it all on Rob. It's rough. Had Rob realized like it turns out having like a young virgin to sell off in Westeros is big money, right? Maybe he would have tried harder for that that trade. And there's almost something feeling very poignant in this chapter as we get through Edmure's shock as being treated kind of like cattle uh, for his own king and, and Catelyn's calmness at that treatment. Because these are totally the roles as children in Westeros they were taught to play. And now they've been put completely out of their element. Their dad's dead. Catelyn, her worth isn't being defined now by her childbirthing skill. And Edmure, it's no longer an open book test, Edmure. It's time. You're lord now. Yeah. Though they could be. They could be arranging marriages for Catelyn if they wanted. Yeah, they could. She's, she's not old, but older. Slutty hottie. Oh I mean, God. she's not slutty, but she's not a virgin. 
Um, she's just old. She's an older, experienced hottie now. I mean, clearly fertile. This is not according to the words of the people of our Discord. First of all, Eliana, they would be all about talking about her slutty milf titties or something oh, yeah. to that. Uh, you True. know who you are, people who have said that. Yes. So yes, she's an older, slutty hottie. She's a and milf. she could. She is, and I, I think, like, and it is brought up towards the end of this chapter. She's also totally marriageable. I mean, like, if anything happens to Edmure, right? I mean, who's next in line? Her. So yeah. it's not a bad deal, and they just aren't really thinking about that right now because I guess they're like, she's not that great of a deal, but she is. She's proven fertile. She thought she could have another kid, though. I don't know. Anyway, Rob reassures her that he is not dead yet. But Catelyn still feels that dread now and reminds Rob that, you know, wars don't need to be fought until everyone dies. And she again brings up the prospect of bending the knee and reminds him there is no shame in it. Same as to how there is no shame in missing the boat. She reminds Rob that, you know, Balon Greyjoy did it after the rebellion and Torrin Stark did it. But then Rob reminds her, well, Aegon never killed Torrin's father. And I'm like, yeah, but like, Ned Stark did kill Balon's sons. Anyway. yeah so catelyn realizes with this sort of reply that rob is playing the boy now not the king and she reminds him you know the lannisters don't need the north what they need are hostages and homages sansa is their hostage no matter what now and that the iron men will be a much more placable enemy in their eyes they'll kill all of house stark to keep their claim valid now all they need is Rob and Jane. There's this line she adds to all of this, and she says, Do you think Lord Balin can afford to let her live to bear you heirs? Which is, A, very cutting and cold, right? Mm-hmm. That That's mean. It's true, but it is mean. Uh, and we see that happen at the Red Wedding, obviously. And it's interesting that earlier Rob brings up Aegon and Torin, right? And that Aegon didn't kill Torin's father. But there is something that's kind of similar about their situations, that Torin kneels instead of letting his crown fall to his next of kin. So a little opposite of Rob. He he buries off his daughters and kin to please the Targaryens and sow peace. Uh, but interestingly enough, Torin's next of kin is his half-brother, his bastard brother, Brandon Snow, hmm. right? So Torin kneels instead of, you know, letting someone else carry on the battle. Rob does the opposite of that. He lets his enemy keep his sisters and plans to legitimize and name John as his heir instead of kneeling. And I think that's that's exactly why it's opposite, right? That you're pointing out. Not only it, this is Rob playing the boy because Catelyn is trying to point out like your pride and your honor isn't worth more mm-hmm. than people staying alive. Right, and and that'll come up later in this chapter too. Then people staying alive, or like your sister staying alive, as as has been hammered home often. And Torin Stark realizes that he puts the pride of the North and his own personal pride, lets himself take on that legacy. Now the songs will always know him, as we can tell, as the king who knelt, and it's meant to be shameful, as well as, despite actually I think being a good thing, it does seem shameful. And that's why, as you said, right, he marries off his daughter and lets his daughter, who's married off to the enemies, still be the heir as opposed to letting it go to his next of kin, whereas Rob does the other 
just mm-hmm. just in case in terms of that pride and there's especially i mean there really is something to say about the the theme of bastard restarting and how this is kind of you know this might be some of rob's thinking already starting here deep down he's like all right john is my only hope uh and there's also something in that how john is going to embrace ruling the north even if it's just for a small period of time uh in the way that torin did right that torin would rather make bargains to protect his family and keep them close to him which john is probably going to have that connection tested right his stark family connection and how he feels close to the remaining starks when it comes time uh and the north and what to do with it absolutely and and that's a great point because we see john already making similar decisions for the wall right and mm-hmm. because the wall isn't about pride it's not supposed to be that's the whole point well rob doesn't appreciate cat's kind of threat almost here and not threat as we said it's just merely an observation of what will probably happen to jane uh, if they kill Rob, and he coldly retaliates, saying, "Oh, is that why you freed the Kingslayer to make peace with our enemies that are going to kill Jane?" She reminds him, "No, I freed Jamie for your da- for my daughter's sake. But if I brokered any peace, would that have been so bad?" Rob says it would. They killed his father. She asks if he thinks she's forgotten that, and Rob's like, "Well, yeah, a little bit, Mom. Kind of seems like it." Cat remembers how frightened and alone Rob is feeling, which is what keeps her from wanting to strike him as something that she had never done to her children. She calls him king in the north and says the choice is his, and she only asks he think on what she says. The singers make much of kings who die valiantly in battle, but your life is worth more than a song. To me, at least, who gave it to you. Damn, remember where you came from, Rob. This is so disrespectful. I'm, I'm, I guess he's a king, but I would never get away speaking like this to my parents at his age. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would have gotten smacked. He's lucky. I would have gotten smacked a little bit in the face. I w- oh yeah, definitely. Wouldn't have gone very well for me. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, anyway, not not that I'm saying Catelyn should have, but I'm saying that's what would happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't be like facts. our family cat. Facts. And yeah, it's funny that he throws that back and I'm like, Rob, you literally said the opposite thing a few moments ago. <sighs> Teenagers. And, you know, this line, though, that Catelyn says, I-, I feel is really pointed. It reminds me of, you know, in terms of like the Tyrells and all those what ifs that are happening in this chapter, this line is just such a great callback to Catelyn's conversations with Brienne and some of the other men over at Renly's Feast back when she was in the Stormlands. Brienne says that though they may die in battle, the songs will remember them. But I love that finally Kat makes a rebuttal to that argument aloud in her own words. And I mean, the first caveat though is uh, Rob technically does not die in battle. Uh, But the point is, the point anyway, is your life is worth more than a song, right? Like the songs and the stories aren't real. Like the stories might outlive us, but the stories are the same as honor, right? What is honor? What are the stories against a brother's smile or being in the arms of a woman you love or your family alive and whole? And so what good is a song that continues when you die, right? It, yeah, it's a sort of second life, but, you know, in the context of Lady Stoneheart, who has a second life as well, like, I mean, it's a thought. 
and what you do with that second life, right? For those that get one, like Stoneheart versus whatever John will do with his that we presume he will get since the show did it first. Oh, <laughs> and because again, these books are based on the show. Oh my God. And I, I will add, I know that I'm getting you on a train of reading some certain books. And there is a book that I reread recently, The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, that of course, uh, Achilles and his mom, Thetis, they're so concerned about how his glory rings, right? About him attaining and achieving legendary immortality amongst the different gods and becoming something so big and that what he dies for and how his prophecy comes true and his honor must all be intact and his legacy must all be intact. And Kat makes a really good point here of like, what does it matter? What does your legacy matter when no one's around to see it, Rob? When your family is gone, your home is gone, so... But where are your legacy, bitch? Yeah. In the words of Eliza Hamilton. I was actually thinking of that. I was like, now that I've finally seen this thing that Chloe has wanted me to watch <laughs> for so long, I'm like, who lives, who dies, who chose your story, bro? It is that. It is that, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, Catelyn is not going to suffer any more of her son's insults. And she asks for his leave to go. And she turns while Rob then alone draws his sword amongst the tall trees and the fallen leaves. And I think this is also something that is a great callback, especially to book one with with this action and moment. Because, you know, Catelyn's like, why the fuck did Rob draw his sword just then? Like, there's no one there to fight. He's alone. And so I think this, sh this scene actually shows us two things going on, right? In terms of that callback, with the way that Rob has just immaturely lashed out at his mother, uh, especially backtracking that whole thing in regards to releasing Jamie uh, one moment ago, he's like, yeah, mom, you were right. I really should have traded him for Sansa and Arya a long time ago. It shows us that Rob is very much, yeah, still a child, playing at glory and, and hoping to live on in songs and putting, again, pride above what really matters. Because bearing live steel is exactly what got him scolded by Roderick Cassell in mm. book one. And I think that this is meant to call back to that a little because we're going to get Roderick Cassell, a reminder of him in such in a moment, um, and his legacy, which apparently, apparently his memory meant nothing to Rob, I guess, because he has forgotten. He has forgotten that just now. And yeah, is acting the child that Roderick Cassell said, is that what you are? But at the same time, I think the scene is also showing us something else, that maybe there are enemies in this room. And Kat doesn't see it, but Rob does, but he, Rob doesn't see it either. But we the readers do, because it's a reread. It's himself, right? Because who truly backed Rob into this corner? Who is the reason that Rob has lost his home? Who made the decision to not trade Jamie in the first place? And who was it that made a vow then broke it, losing his allies, right? Who is the one who sent Theon Greyjoy away? And who didn't give clear commands to his vassals regarding military strategy? And I think, I, I, I don't want to put, like, obviously not everything is Rob's fault, right? Like, obviously, Theon has agency as well, right? Made those decisions too. So did Roose Bolton, like, just fucking shit up. And all those other things, but a lot of the problems is that Rob has just made too many risky moves in terms of what's going on and what he thinks that adults and honor are supposed to be like. He's followed his heart, especially when it comes to like I guess Theon, and also let pride lead him when it comes to these things, and also with Jane. And 
after too many risky moves, all these gambles, he's left himself with no moves left and also no leverage against, like, anyone. It is hard because he's backed himself into his own corner and now he's fighting himself. He's just warring against himself now that all of his allies have left. And Mm -hmm. there's this line from Catelyn, There are fights no sword can win, she wanted to tell him, but she feared the king was deaf to such words. Versus that against, you know, Tywin's some battles are won with swords and spears. It's happening. She knows. They all know what's happening in the background. The ravens that are flying right now across Westeros. And something you said of, of Rob, you know, he, he does have a lot going on. He is a kid trying to do all this. And there is something interesting in Stoneheart not really having her memory as much anymore or a way to access her memories as she comes back as a zombie versus Rob here as he gains power slash loses power. Also, he seems to like his memories seem to streamline and collapse, right? And and things that are more emotional become less important to him as other things take priority. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And it's almost like something really, really parallel to how Stoneheart isn't her whole self anymore and Rob isn't either. He doesn't have full yeah. capacity to be king right now. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's also suffered a lot of loss, right? And he doesn't talk about much, so clearly clearly mm-hmm. that's going somewhere and that's probably just weighing on him inwardly. Yeah. Well. Hours later, Catelyn sews in her bedchamber before she's summoned to supper by Rob. Through Rollum, she pays him a compliment, says that he's a dutiful squire, and also thinks that Bran would have been the same. Rob and Edmure are cold and surly at the table, but Lame Lothar is warm, he's courteous, he's offering Cat condolences and memories for Hoster and her sons. He's praising Edmure for his victory at the stone mill, and also thanks Rob for his justice in Rickard's death. But his brother, Walder Rivers, is different. He is harsh, but devoted to his meal. I'm so glad to finally get here. I love them together. I love their dynamic. The scene is so intriguing. It's very like, you know, Chris Traeger and Ben from Parks and Rec, how they play good cop, bad cop. Yes. Right? You know, Ben is all like, oh, you guys are so cool. Or Chris is all, oh, you guys are great. And then the other will shut it down. One's a dick. One's a charmer. Love that dynamic for them. Uh, And... You know, there's something Emmett over at Nauticast has talked about, which is Lothar and Big Walder, and kind of their relationship as a nephew and uncle. And it's very obvious that Lothar here is putting such an emphasis on his nephews throughout the entire Hmm. conversation. Everything is kind of a veiled threat or volley from the phrase, right? Putting the Tullys and Starks in their place, reminding them what they're owed as lieges, as well as, you know you have my nephews and currently I'm here in your ward, you know, talking to you. So you have to listen to me and respect me. And not only do they make it clear they have control and leverage and power, but they also start showing us these little blips of the plot, right? Showing us Winterfell's burning through them and them alone, through their voice and in their words, most importantly, controls kind of how the narrative is delivered And it just feels like such a really significant display of power from them, especially considering Lothar and all of his charm. He is, you know, part of the secret force behind planning the Red Wedding. Yeah, I mean, he's 
according to, you know, what's actually in some ways the final Catelyn chapter that we have, which is actually Barrett Frey's epilogue. He's the mastermind behind a lot of it. So so that's a great call out of how he's also using the, the nephews as veiled threats and just kind of shadowing everything. And like you s- said and pointed out that the information is coming through them. They hold all the cards. They control everything. They control the way back. They control the flow of information. Mm-hmm. And they control the the armies. The manpower. Yeah. They're controlling this conversation because when most of the meal is cleared, Lothar clears his throat and brings up a crucial matter. Lord Walder had received a letter from his grandsons, fostered at Winterfell. He goes on, there has been a battle, and Winterfell is burned. The northern lords tried to retake it from Theon Greyjoy, who put the castle to the torch. This is a lie. He was on the ground. Big Walder wrote the letter, though little Walder apparently also co-signed it. The castle in Sir Roderick had been slain, and the Ironmen put many of the people to the sword. And this kind of reminds me of, like, the letter from Sansa, where they're like, so none of this was written by Sansa. (laughs) All of this was dictated to her and made up. Yeah, this is, I totally agree. I also think, though, on top of that, total Ramsey Pink Letter vibes. Oh. Like, he wrote, he had them write the letter. I didn't think about it, but, like, they're getting all this info from someone, somewhere. I mean, I, yes. Maybe the phrase, no. Maybe they know, but also, I'm, like, because they're they're in cahoots, but I'm also just, like, it doesn't matter. We don't see the letter. We're just told the letter exists. It could be made up. Well, and there you have it, like Tywin said and like Kat said about the different types of battles. Yes, great point, great point. And they are losing this battle here. They're like, this is not a battle. This is a battle, all right? <sighs> it's so sad. Rob slams his fist down in rage and Kat thinks of Roderick's daughter, Beth, and Maester Lewin, and Septon Chael, and Micken at the Forge, Farlin, Pala, Old Nan, Hodor. Her heart was sick. Same. And yeah, so here's that rage, whereas before he's like, what the fuck was everyone doing by the sea? Here's that anger that everyone was expecting. And, you know, I kind of forgot. I'm going to confess that I kind of forgot the Iron Fleet. No, um, that they didn't realize that Winterfell had been sacked and burned until this moment. This is very much, you know, for them, but it was also for Theon when that happened at the end of A Clash of Kings. The King's Landing opening the gates, a Tywin moment in a way. And then, like, Winterfell burning, right? They they never bring up the rooms. They're never like, oh, God, I'm so sad about this tower, right? Mm-hmm. Because now they realize what it really means when they dallied, when Bran and Rickon were supposedly dead, right? Losing their home wasn't just about losing the castle, it's losing the people that they were supposed to protect. And when you don't do that, I mean, that's how you lose the war. You're no longer a king. Yeah. A king of what? You haven't protected your people or your your home. King of ashes. Or your family. Or your... Anyways, it's a bummer. I mean, he... Yeah, he didn't really protect his sisters. Um, yeah. Yep. And in not doing so, again, that's another one of those moves that has made it more difficult for him. Because now that means, I mean, if he dies, who gets Winterfell? That's another one of those moves. And now someone has to work twice as hard to fucking get it back after he's dead, and they didn't even ask to do that? (sighs) Mm -hmm. God, 
Being a queen is so hard. I mean, <laughs> well, Lothar goes on, telling Catalan that the woman and children were hidden, his nephews among them, and the survivors ended up taken back to the Dreadfort by Roose Bolton's bastard son. Of course, everyone's like, what? Ramsay Snow was a monster, a murderer, and a coward, and dead. Yes, I agree. It is indeed confusing. <laughs> it is confusing. Lothar's like, I don't know what to tell you about that. All I got was this PR memo, but uh, my nephews claim that his bastard saved them, so I believe them. Good boys. Good boys. Very good boys. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, and then Rob suddenly asks, what happened to Theon? But Lothar doesn't know his fate either, and you know, that is part of the mystery. Anyway, until book five. <laughs> this 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 question, though, does feel loaded, and I think we'll discuss this more in our rob episode. but it is worth noting that it says that Rob asked it suddenly, and that there aren't any other emotional descriptors attached to it. Because I think in this moment, Rob is conflicted, and... We'll discuss this again more another time, but I'm thinking at this moment when he asks it, he, does he hope that Theon is dead? Or does he hope that Theon is is alive, right? Like, does he hope that the man he loved like a brother lived? Or does he hope to take vengeance himself on the man who killed his brothers? I think there's a lot. There's a lot in there in that question. That's like such a perfect way to put how complex it is, because I think it's all of them. I do think yeah. it's all of them, and I think there's a part of him that when it was said that he was like, what about Theon? What? What? Like, where was he? Uh, and it's that gut reaction, right? You live with someone for so long that they're your brother. I also think that part of him wants not to believe it, right? That Theon yeah. would do such a thing. Uh, that Theon would do that to their family, to him, who he loved him. And I do think part of that is also there that like for just a moment, there was almost a piece of hope like, wait, this doesn't sound right. What do you mean? Expelled. Are you sure what happened to him? And I think it almost is a crack in the veneer of the story for just a moment. I agree. For them to not know what happened to the guy who allegedly burned all of Winterfell. Uh, yeah, like, he's a pretty <laughs> important character, right? In that moment. He's an important character. He's important to the political landscape, right? Because he's heir to the... Well, they don't know that Asha's heir, but in theory, heir to the Iron Islands. Yeah, heir to that, that giant kingdom. bunch of rocks. Yeah. And be beyond <laughs> all that, I think also maybe he wants Theon alive because then, you know, as you were saying, like, then he can ask Theon, why? Why did you do this? Uh, and could have, if he didn't die. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, same as how even Kat, right? Like, she confronts Jamie. So that she can have answers and closure. Like, why? Why did you do this? Why did you throw my son out the window? For fucking fun. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Literally fucking literally fun. Literally fucking fun. Yeah. Uh, well. The Blackfish says they'll be sure to ask Lord Bolton. And Lothar offers to adjourn the business for the evening as they're grieving. And finish what they started tomorrow. But Rob says no. He wants the matter settled now. Lothar finally has an answer to their offer, which I love how this is presented. It's kind of presented similar to how the terms were presented with King's Landing as well. Uh, giving the terms, you know, in reverse, an answer to their offer. Lord Walder will agree to the new marriage alliance between their houses, as well as renew fealty to the king in the north, 
on condition Rob apologize in royal person, face-to-face, for the insult to House Frey. Catelyn thinks an apology is a very small price to pay, and she does not like this first petty-ass condition being set by Walder Frey. Yeah. So, for all the ways that Catelyn has warned us that Walder Frey is prideful throughout this chapter, I think that her being like... Alright, I guess this is a good enough deal and not being suspicious of it is partially due to the way that she was raised and believes still in the hierarchy of Westeros. We spoke before about her putting her daughter's lives above all of the people who have already died for their cause, right? And and that sort of unfairness, right? And not considering Rickard Carsark's pain too. But I don't think that this is just Catelyn's fault because all of the rest of these high lords and newly minted king, right? They also think that this is par for the course too, right? Like mm-hmm. a lenient sort of, you know, forgiveness. And of course, like why would they suspect something so terrible as the red wedding? They wouldn't. That that was completely like beyond the pale. But they're all they're like, oh yeah, it's a small price to pay. But of, of course, Walter Frey wants back into our good graces because we are the top dogs, or wolves. So they're just kind of like, oh, naturally. Uh, and then we see Edmure for a moment, also thinking that he gets to call the shots when they've broken this vow. And it's like, no, no, this is not how uh, begging works. Yeah, you might not know. This is how. This is not what it's like when you're on the losing side. Surprise, you're losing. Yeah, it is kind of like a hard thing to grasp for them, it seems, that like, boys, we're losing. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Rob takes these terms and these conditions cautiously, graciously. He says, I would love for you guys to resubscribe to us at patreon.com slash Rob (laughs) Stark. However, (laughs) just saying, I don't know what his tears would be, but there'll be something. Uh, he wants them at his side Dead. in battle, he says. Lothar offers Edmure the hand of his 16-year-old sister, Lady Roslyn, Walder's youngest daughter by Bethany Rosby. There's the Edmure's match by Hoster that he didn't realize, too, right? The Rosby girl. Uh, he calls her nature gentle, and she's gifted in music. Edmure starts to ask if he can meet her first, and Walder Rivers is like, absolutely not. You can meet her when they wed. She has tons of teeth. You either accept her now or the offer is withdrawn. Lothar agrees. It's Walder's wish that the marriage take place at once. Brynden asks if Walder's forgotten their, you know, fighting a war. And Lothar says, yeah, exactly. This is why they need to get married. Men die in war, even men that are young and strong. Red flags. Should Edmure die... Their alliance may lose strength, and Walder's old and not like to see the war end. Should he not see his dear Rosalind safely wed? <laughs> his dear Rosalind, whom he cares about so much. Yes, his dear <laughs> looks at smudge name on hand. Rhonda? <laughs> uh, Randa? Miranda Royce? Ah, uh, whichever fucker you are. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he can't even keep his kids straight, so, but anyway... We said this last time, but this is the same calculus Hoster had. He's like, yeah, I think people should get married now, right? That's why he only gave the Riverlands forces after he had a double wedding, which turns out that was the smart thing to do. (laughs) I mean, again, not to get on the Walder defense club all of a sudden, but 
It's been a few chapters. It's been since last book, but he he has points. Yeah. I mean, if they're so offended that Tyrion broke this thing in the middle of a war. But yeah. In the middle of a war. After, you know, them not really giving Tyrion anything, right? Yet the phrase have given them all these forces. And they're like, wow, oath of breaking blood. I'm like, interesting. (laughs) Anyway. Kat thinks we all want Lord... Walder to die happy <laughs> but she's obviously growing less comfortable with these terms as she listens now she's starting to be like this this seems weird even though I'm used to like people pandering us this this seems sus and so she offers to Lothar that Ednir needs time to mourn their father and Lothar says you know what Rosalind's a cheerful girl she might be just what he needs perfect <laughs> comfort in these times and besides Walder River comments uh, that Walder Frey no longer likes lengthy betrothals for the things that we just said. And then Rob gives him a chilly look and says, like, he he gets it, rivers. <laughs> yeah, there is an emphasis on rivers in that, isn't there, on him being a bastard. Yeah. Uh, and I know earlier Edmir had said, you know, the lame one and the bastard come to us. Though I'm sitting here like, maybe that's not the best thing to make fun of. Like, you literally have a lame one and a bastard in your immediate family there with Cat and Rob. Yeah, I agree. It it feels super unnecessary for him to do that, right? Like, the, I took him reading Rivers after the insult of everything. And because, again, it's kind of like his fault because he decided that he wanted to get wed instead of not having a bastard. So it just seems really unnecessary. He could have called him Sir Walder. Yeah. Considering the circumstances. Especially, like, it's an obvious move of disrespect because we know he doesn't give a shit about bastards in that way. Or at least, sorry, he, he at least sees John as different than every other bastard in the world. He's not like other bastards, <laughs> Chloe. John isn't like other bastards, Eliana. Uh, but truly, though, between him and Edmir, they need to chill out. Edmir and Rob both are just kind of lashing out during this. And Rob, look, it is a little, I mean, go off, King. You know what I mean? Like, you are the king. You still, you're definitely being disrespected in your home, but you're going off about these little tiny petty things like that, that it's like, that's not going to get you anywhere with these people, Rob. And Edmir, Edmir is about to go off and piss me off, and he needs to chill out because he's like my baby boy, and I will defend him, right, through thick and thin. But he's actually, for the first time here, getting a taste of what it's like to have his autonomy taken from him right in this manner he's never had to understand before that a marriage could literally harm his life or harm other lives like Catalan and Liza have quite obviously understood they've lived it he just doesn't really get what the stakes are and he quite obviously doesn't understand that this entire dinner has not been like a dinner out with the phrase but has actually been not very thinly veiled threats for an hour uh, and it does remind me kind of of when they first arrived and the Northmen were being really snide to the phrase. And it's like, Edmir doesn't understand that they're losing. You don't get to be cocky and kingly and an asshole when you're losing the war and you're begging for mercy politically and snagging them. I agree. And I think this is maybe part of like why the chapter is sort of framing him as like a a bit of a putz, right, and failing to do, like, the leaderly thing, which is that he wouldn't question this, because when the time came yeah. for it, when his father died and they were at risk of maybe losing the war, Ned Stark didn't ask, like, do I get to choose my wife? Right? Ned Stark was like, alright, okay, I guess I'm gonna marry uh, this girl who was really into my older brother now. 
and yeah. and that was the same for I I mean I guess he got a good good deal out of it. That was the same for John Aaron and also Robert Robert Baratheon especially too. He was like the woman that he wanted to wed, she had died. And so he ended up with Cersei, and I mean, like, obviously that ended up being a terrible marriage for both of them. But, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, so Edmure, the fact that Edmure is, like, demanding that sort of choice here, it, it's kind of remarkable, again, because so many of the people, like, and, and they're kind of his generation, too, right? Edmure's mm-hmm. in this sort of, like, in-between, right? He was alive during the last big war, but not really, like, an adult, didn't really fight in it, so he's seen as younger, and he's not living up to the legacy of the people who uh, had to make those tough calls the last yeah. time around when their asses were on the line, and they were the Lord Paramounts of their respective regions. It, it's sad because, again, just like we talked about with Theon, that it becomes, like, a punishment that doesn't fit the crime for Edmir how he ends mm-hmm. up captured and the only one alive to look around at this ruin, you know, stuck with the enemy. And that is sad. It's 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 a sad thing for him because he is young and full of hope and kind of lost and directionless at his father dying and at his world changing. You know, he didn't ask for his sister to make babies with Ned Stark who got killed. You know what I mean? He didn't ask for this. Yeah. He just wanted to get drunk with Mark Piper and Carl Vance, you know, and I get that. Mm-hmm. I do. But also, he needs to start doing his duty, and that is apparent. And he's going to, whether he likes it or not. <sighs> yeah. Absolutely. They take their leave from this dinner, Lame Lothar and his bastard uh, helping him hobble from the room. And I'm definitely struck by how Lame Lothar reminds me a little bit of Larry's Clubfoot yes. uh, during the dance. Yeah. I never really thought too hard on it, but now that we've come back to him, if you don't remember Larry's clubfoot or need a refresh, he was Master of Whisperers uh, during Aegon II's very fleeting reign in King's Landing. He was the Lord of Harrenhal and one of the Strongs, and he was clubfooted from birth. He had very fleeing loyalties. It was very noticeable that he had these, and he could be totally charismatic one minute, but a hard-ass Lord Confessor the next. So, who knows? I don't know. Lord Lothar really gives that kind of feeling, especially with his foot. And there is kind of that idea that Prince Aemond believed Larys was aiding Rhaenyra in the capital's fall in the campaign in the Riverlands. And Aegon's brother had every member of House Strong at Harrenhal killed. So, maybe some Frey vibes somewhere in there, right? Very interesting. And... There are some similar vibes there to Larry's clubfoot, and I kind of think that maybe, you know, like, he is inspired, right? Like, he's the- Lothar is the blueprint mm-hmm. for all of that, but I, I do want to give a shout-out to our friend Matt, slash Joe Magician, who put out a really interesting theory recently that uh, Larry's clubfoot wasn't born with his clubfoot, and that perhaps part of, you know, why he joined the factions that he did is he was very against- his older brother, maybe that Harbin Strong breakbones had broken his bones or something once before. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's an interesting take. Yeah. But back to this this person here, Lothar. He is, as you said earlier, 
doing a great job of just manipulating the Starks and the Tullys into agreeing to this marriage through guilt and like pressing like the whole like oh you're kind of short on time card and like trying to get Rob to come back to the twins is a small concession and then also like you said controlling the information that this letter from Winterfell allegedly that again we never actually see for what it's worth <laughs> though I mean yeah Lothar could have collaborated with the two Walders anyway but you know, it's all you said, right? The good cop, bad cop thing. And, and I mean, he's just playing this masterfully. You know, not only did he mastermind and orchestrate the whole thing, here he is executing the plan. Wow. Great job. Congratulations, Lothar Frey. It's you so frustrating, it. too, because it's like it's so obvious that he's so charismatic and polite and he's being so courteous. And Kat's like, let's just get this over with and deal with him. And yet it was him. Fucker. Yeah. You sat yep. and ate my bread and mead and salt, and yep. then you assaulted me, and it was not cool. <laughs> assaulted and asswath. Okay, once they're gone, Admir lets loose. He complains about how this is so unfair, having to marry someone you don't have any choice over. And Catalan's like, <laughs> Catalan's like, well, we've wounded Walder's pride, and. It is what it is. You're going to have to. And Edmir refuses to be shamed in his own hall. You know, that he just inherited like 12 hours ago. Chill out, Edmir. <laughs> Rob gives him a weary look. And he's like, I will not command you. But if you refuse, it will be a further slight. And nothing will be forgiven. And we will all die and lose. And Edmir's like, he goes on. He's like, I'm God's gift to Frey woman. And Walder has always wanted my Tully ass to get married to someone in his family, and this is his big moment. We're gonna wait him out. And Brendan's like, as fun as that is, and I would never tell anyone to get married against their will or ever, we really can't wait on this one. We can't, like, wear Walder down over time on this one. And Rob's like, I have to go home where my kingdom is burning and bleeding. I can't sit and wait for a wedding that may or may not happen. And Catalan adds, oh no, it, it has to happen with, with the wedding. Yeah, Rob... Rob's cause is lost without that wedding. We will be accepting this. Edmure says, interesting that you're accepting this for me, because I don't see you offering to be the ninth Lady Frey. And she reminds him, well, the eighth Lady Frey is alive and well. Elsewise, I might have been number nine, she thinks. The Blackfish turns to him, reminding him, you did wish to make amends for your folly at the Battle of the Fords. I do think Catelyn would have done it, though. She would have become number nine. <laughs> and... I, I also am like, you know, it, if it's so important, why doesn't Brynden also offer to marry someone as well? Which I'm sure that that's a question people have brought up before. And it's also telling that Edmure takes it out on Kat, saying, well, Kat, why don't you offer to marry someone and doesn't take it out on Brynden? And I will say, you know, talking about the stuff that Bruce Bolton has done, mm. these strange orders that he gave to Tollert and Glover... And and as you were saying and pointing out, he, he's quite lenient on Roos. Like, why doesn't he come down as hard on Roos as he does on Edmure? Because he comes down on Edmure for having not followed, I guess, the orders exactly to the word. But he doesn't come down on Roos for like, why did you fucking send people to the sea? Why did you send them to goddamn Duskendale? Yeah. And he, but, you know, Roos does talk him like down from it. Yeah. That's the thing, like, in the next chapter with Lady Gwyn, we'll definitely look at it again. But he does kind of talk him down a little, you know? He's like, oh, well, you know how men are when they're passionate and they make mistakes and they're sad. And Rob's like, oh, 
Is this one another one of those digs at me? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, everyone, everyone is being shitty to everyone else right now. Is all I'm saying. And things are hard when you're losing the war. <laughs> Lots of passive aggression going on in yeah. this camp, and full out aggression, like frontal and grief, full frontal yeah. aggression and grief. There's a lot of feelings amongst everyone right now. None of them positive. Well, to be fair, though, uh, Enmir has a great sense of humor at the end of the chapter because he has nothing else left. This end passage is so funny. He says, I had in mind a different sort of amends. Single combat with the Kingslayer. Seven years of penance as a begging brother. Swimming with the sunset sea with my legs tied. When he saw no one was smiling, he threw up his hands. The others take you all. Very well. I'll wed the wench as amends. Well, you might get that wish there. The others might just take them all, Edmir. Yep. Or someone else. Da, da, da. Or worse, expelled. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, well. Bummer that they all die except Edmir and Brynden, I guess. He's still there, kind of. He fished. He's somewhere. He swam. He I swam. Think, I think it's, yeah, something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen from that. Yeah, he's gonna die too, though. I mean, we all die eventually. Yeah, everyone dies. I don't know. I think, like, his death, I think his death will be fitting for him, you know, but I do think it will happen. Out with the old, in with the babs. I wonder if he'll get a burial. I hope he gets a boat burial. I hope they tully his ass. He might not. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Arya pulls him out of the water, too. You don't know. That's true. Or maybe he gets to, you know, the blackfish becomes one of the fishes. Who knows? I kind of wonder now how we'll get that death. It'll probably be a Jamie chapter. Oh, that would be or an Arya. But Jamie would be great, like because you know that's that was his childhood hero. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. I don't know. I don't know on that one. I'm gonna think on that one. Could even be like yeah. It could be a Sansa chapter, or I mean, could be a Theon chapter, hmm. right? Or a John. It could be a John chapter because as we know. Kat has talked shit about John to Brynden, so it'd be interesting to watch them interact. Yeah, I'm just thinking location-wise, who we'll see next in the area, you know, and it's like Brienne, Jamie, Arya are the big contenders. Anyone can be anywhere. <sighs> With the magical traveling POV. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're about to get dragons, so cut those travels to like four-hour trips across the states, you know? Well, I mean, people traveled a lot, right, in those first two books. Again, Catelyn, like, traversed basically the entire fucking continent. Like, the yeah. entire, like, nation, like, in the first two books, so. Yeah, she went everywhere. And I do think the Clash of Kings Reach stuff was very interesting to see her all of a sudden. Boom, she's there. Boom, she's back. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he doesn't measure like that, and that's not how you're supposed to be reading. Not with your measuring tape out to understand, like, the mile markers on the map. But, nope. Interesting. Interesting, the wheels keep moving. Well, I think that wraps us up for Catalan 4 in A Storm of Swords. We're so excited for next week when we'll be back with Catalan 5 in A Storm of Swords with the wonderful Lady Gwyn of Radio Westeros. Yes, so be sure to tune in for that. But perhaps you have something that you would like to say to us. You can send us a tweet at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter, or perhaps you can send us an email. Maybe you have a chinchilla at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Send us your chinchilla. And after you've sent us your chinchilla, 
please make sure that you are subscribed to us on an RSS feed listening device near you, you know, like Google Podcasts, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're there. And Podbean, where we're hosted. Yes. And somewhere else you can find our episodes is on Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you get a private RSS feed and patrons $5 and up get a bonus episode. And our episode for September is going to be about Rob Stark. Rob Stark. (laughs) Yes, we don't have a theme picked picked for our episode next month it will be something his dark materials spooky themed maybe even we don't know or not we'll see for october so keep an eye out for that special patreon episode and get into that backlog of episodes when you have time thanks so much for listening i've been one of your hosts chloe i've been another one of your hosts eliana (sighs) goodbye bye Till next week when we're sad again. Yeah, we'll just be sad this whole week. This whole week. Goodbye.